Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we massage your neurons with wonderful science. In this edition we'll look into the future with a real live futurist and we'll cover the protest against the government's net censorship. But first, here's the news with Calvin Ong. Hello, and just a brief roundup of what's been happening in the world of science this week. An underwater volcano eruption in the South Pacific has created a new island off the coast of Tonga. The eruption, about 39 miles northwest of the capital Nukualofa, began on Monday after a series of sharp earthquakes were felt in the capital. But just how long will this new island be able to last? At the International Scientific Congress on Climate Change in Copenhagen a few weeks ago, Scientists warn that sea levels may rise by more than a metre by 2100. This is much higher than the estimates from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. A metre doesn't sound that much, but since many low-lying Pacific Island nations are only a metre or two above sea level, many of these nations may cease to exist in the future. Pacific Island leaders have long urged countries such as Australia to take strong action on climate change and safeguard their survival. Tuvalu, a country of nine small islands and atolls, is only four and a half metres above sea level at its highest point. The country predicts that it will be uninhabitable in 50 years if rising sea level predictions are correct. Tuvalu's government has apparently considered moving its people to other islands in the Pacific should the worst occur, but has said that this is not a priority for now. If you love your car and you get worked up by even a tiny scratch on the bonnet, scientists from the United States may be able to help. A team from the University of Southern Mississippi has developed a polyurethane coating that heals its own scratches when exposed to sunlight. This offers a promise of scratch-free cars and other products. The self-healing coating uses chitosin, a substance found in the shelves of crabs and shrimp. This is incorporated into traditional polymer materials. When a scratch damages the chemical structure of the coating, The chitosin responds to UV light by forming chemical chains that begin bonding with other materials in the substance, smoothing the scratch. But there are limits. Aside from the fact that it's not commercially available just yet, the polymer can only repair itself in the same spot once, although the chances of having the scratch twice in exactly the same spot is pretty slim. So until this coating goes onto the market, you'll still have to keep an eye out for those shopping carts in the car park. Did you know that each tiger's stripes are unique, just like a fingerprint? Conservationists have found a new weapon against the illegal trade of tiger skins. A computer-driven technique can match images of live animals with the illegally traded pelts, identifying when and where the poachers made their kills. Pattern recognition software like this has been around for some time and has been used to identify other animals, such as grey seals, cheetahs and whale sharks. The technology can also be used to study whether the population of a group of animals is growing or declining. And finally this week, what can you do with a thousand euros? 
A group of teenage students from Spain decided to launch a camera and a balloon into space and take pictures of the Earth. The group, calling themselves Meteotech, launched a balloon in late February equipped with a cheap camera, temperature and pressure sensors, a GPS receiver and a radio receiver. The pictures showed the curvature of the Earth, the blackness of space, and in some pictures it was even possible to see the Moon and Venus. The group hopes to launch another balloon next summer with some improved equipment. You can see the pictures online on sites such as New Scientists, and that's one way to find out whether the rains in Spain do fall mainly on the plains. We should all be interested in the future, because that is where we'll be spending the rest of our lives. Ian Wolfe speaks with futurist Janine Kale from Future Journeys. Janine, what does a futurist do? A futurist looks at a number of trends, um, maps different technologies that will affect the future, um, also maps political, social change, um, human belief systems. Um, I, in particular, look at um, the internet and new media because as humans, our most important thing is to communicate. So our methods of communication are really key to how we change and interact. So it's all about how we communicate and how we network and exchange information and ideas. Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things that I do in particular is, is work in innovation with corporations. So using the future as a, a source of information on innovation. A lot of organisations innovate, but actually from today. Now the reality is tomorrow is not more of today. What would you say it means to innovate? To innovate is to think creatively about something um, in such a way that you create new products, services, systems, ways of interaction, um, and it actually has a, has a result. It has a value. And you used a phrase, to be informed by the to future. To be informed by the future. How are you able to be informed by the future? Yeah, it's a really good question because I guess... What I look for now is uh, what I call gentle whispers of the future. I think William Gibson said it beautifully when he said, the future is here now, it's just unevenly distributed. So my focus is to understand the future, but also to help other people understand the future, which gentle whispers are actually large trends and not just some kind of noise in the system. And and the reality is you can develop, you know, your future's antennae, if that's what you want to call it, so that you become more aware of the major changes that are going to impact how we work. And one of the key ways to do that is to remember that we're human and our brains haven't changed very much for 400,000 years. So in that case, we have to look at humans fulfil their own needs and so that's the starting point. So if, it, if you're looking at a new technology, you think, well, how are humans going to interact with that technology? So what are some of the trends that your whispers are telling you about? The biggest one that's happening right now is the, is the power of the internet to absolutely change everything. I remember, you know, teaching, you know, 10 years ago about the net would disintermediate industries. You know, it would take out the middle people. And everyone goes, well, where, where is it happening? Where is it happening? The reality is it's happening now. These things don't happen instantaneously. We're now in the situation where news, for example, has been 
disintermediated. People are searching for their information from the internet rather than the big news agencies. They're getting information from social media like Twitter and Facebook from people they trust. Um, And I think that whole issue of trust has actually sped up the disintermediation. In finance, I, I have a background in finance and banking and um, in finance industry, the most interesting things that are happening are happening in the developing world where disintermediation is happening there and now where banks, because they don't ex- exist in um, to a large proportion of the population, they've worked out other ways to get their financing and banking needs. And that issue of trust... I mean, that's one of those things where banking is a perfect example. And as you say, the newspapers were another good example, the news, because people went to the newspapers because they trusted the journalists that were hired to give them the news and to go out and find things. And the banks, they trusted the banks to have the finance. So how are people, how have people developed trust on the internet in these alternative systems that have developed? Uh, it's really person to person. And so, um, you know, I meet you, I trust what you say, I like what you say, so I follow you on Twitter. Then I find, oh, wow, some of your friends are saying really interesting things. Now, I trust you, and therefore, you, I, I know that you will have checked out the credibility of your um, people that you follow, so I will follow them too. Um, and it's a way of getting great information about a really wide variety of source of, um, of stories of all sorts of things, because people are interested in amazing things. Yes, yeah, so you're filtering in, um, as opposed to filtering out, you're filtering in yes. people who are themselves filtering in interesting and trustworthy people. So you're building up a network of, of trust and intelligence, it sounds. Absolutely. So that's where I look for my intelligence. So, um, yeah, so I have a, a, a large work network of people whose views I trust in, in when they're talking about social media. So any of the new trends in social media and the internet, um, there are people that I trust in terms of, um, uh, say, I have a big interest in games and virtual reality and so on. So there's a group of people there that I will, will follow um, and so on. Unfortunately, not all these people are on Twitter and Facebook, and, and so um, I still have to use traditional forms of communication with them. And are they harder to trust when they don't use the new media? Uh, they're <laughs> certainly not harder. They're not harder to trust. It's it's harder for me to. It takes more time for me to connect to them. Right. So there is a large uh, foresight network on um, of worldwide futurists on Ning, which is like Facebook, but sort of for more professional uses. And it's just fabulous. So I can build up um, areas of trust by seeing what they post, what they talk about. um, And then I know that I can follow them. And Mm. and we share resources freely, which is the other amazing thing around social networking, is that information is, is so freely shared. So the big trend you're talking about at the moment is the elimination of the middleman, pretty much, that you won't have to have a recording industry to go between the artist and the consumer, that you'll be able to buy directly from the artist, for example. Yeah. And you get your news directly from the journalist without having to go through a newspaper. And it sounds like you'll be able to get your loans without having to go directly through a bank. Yes, I hope so. And Directly that, from the capitalists. That's right. Reverse leapfrogging. We take a technology to the developing world and then they improve it and then we can borrow it back. And <laughs> The best kind of interaction, I think. Well, I think that's one of the wonderful things about this sort of human networking is that 
everybody's intelligent. Everybody's thinking intelligently about how they're using the technology. They're creative and they're in a different situation. They'll use it in ways we never would have expected. And we can learn from them as much as they learn from us. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, we have a lot more to learn from them because they um, are often working from a, a space of scarce resources. Now, we've got very lazy with our resources in the West and that's why we have such a, a environmental problems at the moment is because we are so wasteful. They're coming from a totally different viewpoint. Once they develop something, it makes sense for us to be borrowing it because they come from that non-waste background, zero right. waste Zero waste so that it's more sustainable because they've had no choice. That's right. If I was to ask you what trends, what whispers you see that might be trends or even trends that are present now but only in small amounts that are going to be bigger in the future to to make the, the predictive leap, where would you point me at looking? What would you think is going to be bigger? than? I mean, disintermediation is happening now and you were talking about it 10 years yeah. ago. 10 years' time, what will you look back and say, ah, we should have known? Well, I think... One of the major trends now, and I was just reading something today, you know, about um, uh, some of the uh, economic uh, newspapers and news sources in the US were like PR agencies for Wall Street rather than actually acting in their normal role as an economic journalist, which would be to critique what's happening, give a balanced viewpoint. So I think this is a huge – what's happening now – is is absolutely huge in that um, there is a there's going to be an implanting of fairness and equity and um, a need for trust. I mean, the need for trust has always been there, but now the internet has enabled us to see. I think that's one of the key trends. There's been a lot of people talking for ten years about what was happening and what was going to happen because of. Um, uh, the tr- total trust in the economic system as it stood without actually looking at, at, at its problems. So I think uh, that will be one of the major things, that there will be fairness, the whole examination of, um, of uh, chairmen's, chairman and managing directors, pay packages and so on when, when they're actually looking at a three-year uh, result, not a 30-year result. Would you go as far to say as corporations or businesses might be more democratic? Yes, I think that I think that will happen and it's uh, it's going to take a while, but interestingly this crisis has caused some quite massive change. I've been running uh, scenario weekends for which are developing different views of the future, so you might over a weekend develop four or five views of the future. And one thing that kept coming up is that there was going to be in order for us to change to actually suit the current conditions, you know, the issues around the environment, economics, um, world health and so on, that there would be a massive, a need for a massive change and, in fact, a a rather traumatic change and maybe that's what we're experiencing now, which is actually going to enable some new order in the world. Janine Carl, thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. That was Ian Wolfe talking with futurist Janine Carl. In the past, about the future... Now back to the present. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio, diffusion at 2SER.com, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Special thanks to listeners Chris and the lovely Christine for their feedback. We promise to continue covering the big issues. Oh, and congratulations on winning the trivia quiz. Well done.
Ian Wolfe attended the March in March protest against the Australian government's censorship of the internet. Thanks, Ian. My name's Jim Stewart and I'm the Managing Director of Stuart Media. And you're here at the anti-censorship rally. Yeah, we're a business based in Melbourne. We've been going for around 10 years. We're online marketers. And, you know, we're, we're growing fast, unlike most uh, other businesses or doom and gloom that we hear about these days. But, you know, the digital space is growing pretty quick still. And just this week, I wasn't going to come up, but just this week with the release of the Atkins blacklists and seeing what was on it, I thought, I just, I have to come up. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't. So what stood out to you as being things that really should not have been on the blacklist? Oh, it was just, just the sheer ludicrous nature of some of the sites. I mean, you know, we had a dentist site on there, presumably because it had been hacked and some, some links or whatever had been put up on the site. We had a, apparently a page that was just a page full of cats. Now, you know, I don't know whether the, the message got um, messed up from Stephen Conroy when it went to the ACMA and they, he said no pussy pics or people thought it was kitty porn or something but I mean at the end of the day it, it, it was just ridiculous because the way that this blacklist is created is by someone making a complaint about a site or a web page so you know it's so arbitrary and if the ACMA never get a complaint about a site they'll never blacklist it and even if they do blacklist it so what you can still get to it and and now What's happened this week with all the, the blacklists being released and made public is that it has basically elevated all of these sites because they're getting thousands and thousands of black backlinks to the list because everyone's saying, oh my God, look at this list. And when that happens, it not only does it give people more ways to find those lists, it also elevates them in the search engines because the search engines think, well, these must be popular sites because everyone's linking to them, so let's elevate them in the search engines. So all the government's done by focusing, and I'm not talking just this government, I'm talking the, the previous federal government as well because they started this. Um, all they've done is successfully expose millions of Australians to things that they might find offensive. So, I mean, that's why we had to come up. Right, and the idea is to implement all this in hardware, you know, the internet service providers, so that they will be able to stop you looking. Yeah, and look, and that's one of the one of the most. It, to me, it's it's offensive um, because it's the government saying, look, we're not going to allow you to see things that we think might be offensive, and we're going to make it mandatory now. We're going to take this blacklist, and we're going to filter anything on it. See, previously the blacklist was just a blacklist. And if the site was in Australia, then um, the ISP would be issued a takedown notice and the site would come offline. And, and in fact, the first site that this ever happened to, well, I think it was about 2000 or 2001, was a site called teenagers.com.au. And it was legal material. It wasn't illegal material. Um, but someone complained about the site. It, the ISP was issued a takedown notice for the site. They took the site down. Meanwhile, the owners of teenagers.com.au redelegated the site to a US server, so the takedown notice was useless. It didn't mean anything. It, the site was live 24 hours. It was offline for about a couple of hours. Now, but by now filtering this list at the ISP level, what they're saying is, is that, okay, we're not going to allow you to see any of this material. Some of it's 
obviously, yeah, okay, pretty offensive, and that's illegal. Okay, well, go and prosecute those people, please. If it's illegal material, go and prosecute them. If it's child porn, go and prosecute them. But if it's legal material, I mean, really, forget about it. Just leave us alone. Um, the, the, by Also, by by putting in a mandatory filter. What it does, it gives parents a false sense of security who don't understand what's going on, that their children are protected. And of course they're not, because these filters can easily be circumvented. Now, you know, and part of the ridiculous nature of this is, is that this week when um, uh, one of the sites that was blacklisted this week, which was Abortion TV. Now, this is a, 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 an anti-abortion site with some pretty horrific imagery on it. Um, and it was blacklisted by the, the ACMA. Someone actually published the uh, email that they got from the ACMA explaining why it had been blacklisted. Because this person ac- actually purposefully went and said, I think this is an offensive site, I think it should be blacklisted. ACMA said, yeah, of course it should. It's an abortion site and it's horrible to look at. Great. So... They sent the email saying, yes, we've done it. Here's the link that we've blacklisted. The person published the email. The following day, the ACMA issued a, uh, a, a notice to the ISP to say, if you don't take that link off your website, we're going to fine you $11,000 a day because you're linking to a blacklisted site. Now, this is a secret blacklist. Now, if this, this would be Python-esque if it was funny. But it's not funny. It's our liberties that they're, 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 they're screwing with here. So you can be fined for linking to a site on a blacklist, a secret blacklist, so you don't even know that you could be linking to one of these sites and you, you can get fined $11,000 a day. Now, some of the other sites that are on this blacklist are gambling sites, for God's sake. They're online poker sites. They're Betfair. They're, I mean, you know, the, the, the previous government made it um, uh, illegal for an Australian business to set up an online gambling site in Australia. They made it illegal. You couldn't do it. So what happened? Well, everybody now gambles overseas. So we send all that money overseas now. We send all that money to the US, to China, to the Canary Islands or wherever else. And the only gambling that we're allowed to do online is things like sports betting. But you can't play poker online in Australia. You have to go overseas to do it. And it's easy to do, and no one knows that they're actually going overseas, but it just means Australia's missing out on, on, on more, more industry. They're killing it, basically. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Won't somebody think of the dentists? Think of the web developers? Think of the tour operators? Think of lolcats? Think of the lolcats, yeah. They right. can have cheeseburger. <laughs> Whether Conroy wants them to or not. Was it lolcats? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't actually on the lolcats site, but it, that's what it was. It was. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That was a, that, there was nothing wrong with that. Website. Yeah, it's so it's actually cultural warfare. Essentially, yes. He, he, he was banning that one. That one actually threw me off because I was like, hang on. That funny cat pictures at whatever, it was like a photo bucket or something. Funny cat pictures. I looked, went to the link, and it was all legit stuff. Hmm. Like, it was just stuff you can find anywhere on the internet without breaking any sort of law. Yes. So, and he's trying to ban that. So... Well, what on earth for? Yeah. Why, why would he be banning something that we, everyone can appreciate? None of the stuff wasn't overly dirty or sexual. Like, there was a few ones that were hinting at naughtiness. But there was nothing really harmful. It was all G-rated. But that is the process, that all you have to do is complain to ACMA, mm. and then a bureaucrat says, fair enough, and yeah. then that's it. 
I want to know what was going through well, the bureaucrat's mind that decided, yeah, funny pictures of cats are just not on. Must, well, have, must have been a dog person. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a good example. My, um, my mother runs a uh, store for people who can't eat wheat, um, wheat and gluten, uh, uh, people for celiacs. She's got a few competitors, which I think are a little bit on the shady side. I'm not going to name names, of course, but sure. if, if, say, they complain about her website, and she's only a small business, if someone complains about her website and they don't check properly or thoroughly, she's going to lose a big source of her income because her website is a big marketing tool for her and she doesn't have much budget for marketing. So if that, if that goes off, offline, then where's where that going to leave her? She's not going to be able to take that off. Yeah, so there's no transparency, it's all invisible and there's no re- there's no appeal. Completely unaccountable, yeah. no, no oversight, no appeal, no nothing. Sounds like absolute power. Pretty much, and we all know what that does. I'm here in the pub after the protest. I'm Colin Jacobs from Electronic Frontiers Australia. We represent Australian internet users. And what I would say is that it's clear that this is not a policy problem, it's not a technical problem, it's become a political problem. The government have painted themselves into a corner where they've decided we must be seen to deliver something. We've said it's for the children and we want to do something to the internet. Now they've got to find a way to do that. It's clearly not anymore about delivering for children or stopping illegal material. It's solving a political problem that they've made for themselves. When the policy was dreamt up in its original form a few years ago, um, perhaps that's what they were thinking. But since then, the policy's changed. It's gone from being a cyber safety policy to a mandatory nationwide filter that's supposedly targeted against uh, pedophiles and traffickers of illegal material. Although, again, as we know, it's not really going to be effective for that either. So really now they're just trying to find something that they can do, some way they can clamp down on the internet. That was the rally against internet censorship by the Australian Federal Government by Ian Wolfe. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, and if you'd like to contribute to Diffusion and hear your own voice communicating science on radio, then send email to diffusion at 2SER. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com, www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to this edition of Diffusion were Ian Wolfe and Calvin Ong. Diffusion has been produced by Ian Wolfe in the studios of 2SER Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Charles Willock. Join us inside your brain for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. It's not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's a series of tubes. Tangled up with all these things that are going on the internet commercially. I, I think uh, it, it absolutely...